Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. So just a little introduction for those of you who may be guests this morning. Our entire church has been going through a, a, a wonderful program of how to practice godly management of our financial resources called Financial Peace University. And we, and we did that with the goal of making sure that, that people really do establish and experience the, this peace that God wants us to have when we use His grace, first of all, motivated by His grace, but also employ His wisdom to manage the gifts that God has given us. And I think we're, we're already seeing some phenomenal results, especially in terms of debt being reduced. I know in my own growth group, uh, people are talking about um, not just snipping up their credit cards, but actually having reduced their debt pretty significantly, beginning, uh, beginning to experience some of that peace. This is the last message in the sermon series that goes along with Financial Peace University called Breakthroughs, what we called it. And today what we're going to be talking about is how to build momentum going forward. Of course, not just in your management of personal finances, although that will feature prominently here today, but also how to build momentum in your spiritual life with the spiritual wealth that that God has given us. So I don't know how many of you know what this is called. Does anyone know what this is called? The informal name for it is clacker. But there there is a formal name for it. It's called Newton's Cradle. And it was invented back in 1967, actually, interestingly enough, by an English actor who had a little bit of an interest in physics and wanted to honor Sir Isaac Newton, his fellow countryman. And so he developed this, and one of the laws that he actually wanted to demonstrate and why I brought it up here this morning, now they're still moving, is to demonstrate the law of momentum. What momentum is, is is movement, obviously, that is influenced by the velocity of an object and the mass of an object. I know many of you were excited to get here for your physics lesson this morning. So I'm going to deliver, I promise, all right? So how many of you have seen one of these at work? Most of you, I'm guessing, right. So the beauty of this is it demonstrates that if I give this ball over here some momentum, what will happen is the momentum gets transferred to the ball at the other end. Notice that the movement starts in the same direction with about the same speed. Now, there are other forces at work like friction and gravity here that eventually slow this Newton's cradle down, and so it doesn't keep going. If it were in a perfect vacuum with no gravity and such, it would keep going forever because that's the law of conservation of momentum. But here's what, here's what happens. Love that. I can sit there and play with that all day long when I'm writing sermons. So that's the law of momentum. And what it tells us is that if you can get something going a certain velocity 
And if you can get something going a certain direction, and if you can get enough mass behind that velocity and direction, things will really start to move forward. Now, there are some real, I love how God puts spiritual lessons in nature. And there are some really cool spiritual lessons in this that we're going to walk our way through. But one of the first that I want to hit on is you notice that it's already stopped. I can start it again, but ultimately the momentum slows down and it stops. And that happens also spiritually in real life. There are forces, as I said, like physical forces, friction, gravity, that can slow our momentum down. And we're going to be looking into an Old Testament story today of some people who constantly had to be revved back up in their momentum because every time God gave them momentum, it slowed down and, and began to, to halt. And so what's beautiful about this, however, is God gives us some very important lessons spiritually about how spiritual momentum works for us today as we study this story. The number one force spiritually, that causes momentum to slow and to halt? Anyone want to guess what that is? Well, sin is a good, that's a good place to start. And you're right, it is sin. But I am now looking for something that is a more specific kind of sin. What's the opposite in your mind of faith? For me, it is fear. And so what what often happens when it comes, whether it's momentum with our finances, momentum with our faith, is that we allow our lives to be governed by our fears rather than our faith. We begin to respond and react to the things that we're worried about and afraid of rather than going, but we have a powerful God, a wise God, most of all, a loving and a kind God who sent his son Jesus for us whose son went all the way to the cross for us. And if that's true, what wouldn't he do for us? And instead of looking at all of God's grace and mercy and power, we get focused as Peter once did on the wind and the waves that are, that are all around us. And what was Peter's answer? It was to turn back to Jesus, knowing that Jesus was powerful enough to lift him up to walk on top of the waves again, and not just powerful enough, but more importantly, loving enough that Jesus loved and cared for him enough. So there's a principle that I think God gives us, especially when it comes to finances and the fears that we experience with those, that I want to start with, and that's the 2 Corinthians chapter 9 passage. Now, before we read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I, I want to set this up a little bit. And there's a passage, I believe, that should be in here right before. There it is. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Take a moment and study that. It is not in your notes. What's God encouraging here? Is God not encouraging generosity? But more importantly, he says, give what you have decided, help me out, in your heart to give. He is not wanting 
forced generosity, is he? He is wanting willing generosity. Generosity that comes from open-heartedness, from a heart that has been changed. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians 9.8. How does that willingness come about? It comes about from addressing the fears that we have about our finances. And one of the greatest fears that many of us have about our finances is, will I have enough? If if I have this job, will I have enough to make ends meet? If I give a gift to the Lord on Sunday morning, will I still have enough after I've given my first fruits giving to make it through the rest of the week? Will I have enough? And that fear gets repeated again and again. We begin to measure ourselves against our neighbors. I wonder if I have enough because I don't seem to have enough as Bob next door or John three doors down. And and so the question and the fear begins to rise in our hearts. Will I have enough? And I want you to look After God encourages us to be generous with willing hearts, what he promises. Take a look at this passage. And God is able to bless you, what's that word? Abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you know what the promise is there? In all times, in all things, having all that you need to do the work that God has planned out for you to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has in advance planned good things for us to do in order to worship and thank him, plan good things for us to do in order for us to love one another, plan good things for us to do in order for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And what is the promise here? In all things, at all times, having all that you need, that work that God has planned for you to do, worship and love him, love your neighbor, share the gospel, God will give you abundantly so that those needs are being met. And those, spiritually, are the greatest needs that God wants us to live out in our lives. So there's a great Old Testament story that illustrates this principle, that God will give us everything that we need abundantly. And for that, if you have your Bibles or you have your Bible app on your phone or you just want to follow along in the crosswalk notes, let's go to Exodus 36, 1 to 7. We're going to kind of focus in on this passage today. Here's, here's the situation. The children of Israel are in the desert of Sin. It's part of the uh, larger Sinai Peninsula Uh, They have just been delivered by God's phenomenal plan of freedom, taken out of Egypt where they have been slaves for more than 400 years. And God sent a deliverer, beautiful picture of the future deliverance of Jesus Christ. God sends his servant Moses, kind of an unwilling servant, to deliver the children of Israel and through many miracles, I'm making a long story short, 
uh, God eventually delivers the children of Israel through the Red Sea, which just as soon as all the Israelites are through, what happens next? Who follows them into that dry ground? The Egyptian soldiers do. And the sea closes back over them and defeats Pharaoh's army. Three days later, they get to a place where they can't find good water. And do you know what they do? After this amazing deliverance, they begin to complain exactly and grumble. Then a little while later, just a few more days later, they start feeling like they need more food. What does God do when they grumble and complain? Here's the most interesting thing, and it shows us who God is. Instead of sending lightning bolts to strike them dead, instead of punishing them, God answers their complaining prayers by giving them water, by giving them manna, by giving them quail. Do you know what grace means? We usually define grace as undeserved love. Do you see the grace in how God treats the Israelites there? He's just shown them this amazing grace of delivering them from over 400 years of slavery. They immediately go into grumbling and complaining mode, and God graces them even more. Do you ever feel like God does that for you? That despite our sinfulness, Despite our dissatisfaction with what we've been given, God, as he has already said, is able to bless us abundantly. That's grace. So we're shortly after that, and, um, and, and uh, all these complaints and all this grace has been shown. God eventually leads them to the desert, uh, where, uh, to Sinai, where he delivers the commandments We know they engage in false worship there. God graces them again. And after some time, God says, I want you to build a place to worship me called a tabernacle. Now that's where we're at here. So Bezalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary, the, the tabernacle, are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability. I I bolded that because I want you to see there's more grace. God had supplied his people with abilities. And who was willing to come and do the work? More grace. God had created, created willingness in their heart. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Did you hear that? Go back up to 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What's happening here? 
The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work that the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. Now, when is the last time do you think that happened? Stop bringing offerings. That hasn't happened maybe since here. All right? So no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained. That, that word literally means they blocked them from bringing any more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Isn't that amazing? Now, was that because these people were so holy? Was that because these people were so naturally giving and generous? We just heard where they had come from, right? Take, take a look at the next passage. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, now look at the words that I bolded there. How many people are grumbling and complaining according to that? Is it just a few discontents? There's easily over a million people. Can you imagine being Moses? And all of a, all of, some of us, now I, I, I remember this. I, you know, my wife Julie and I, we raised five children. I will tell you that there were times when we, found, we felt outnumbered by our own children when they started to grumble about certain things. We're like, stop that grumbling. Can you imagine a million or more grumbling against you and saying this was all a huge mistake and then starting, and I love this, that's why I bolded it, with the if-onlys. Anybody here ever do the if-only? <laughs> if only I had the new truck. If only I had a better house. If only I had a different spouse. All those things. Nobody look or nudge anybody. <laughs> We're always doing the if only. And that's, that's exactly what the children of Israel, more than a million of them, are doing. And this must have been a little bit frightening for Moses. And aggravating for God after all the great freedom that he had given them. Are we really any different today? After all the freedom that God has given us? After all the freedom from our sins? After all the freedom from our guilt and our shame? After all the freedom from death, from sin, from an eternity in hell? Do we still find ourselves feeling like we don't have enough? Do we still feel ourselves tugged by our fears and saying to ourselves, if only I just had this one more thing, then I could be content, then I could be happy. 
We're talking about momentum today. And you know what is the very first thing that needs to move? If we are to move spiritually, if a, as a church we are to move together, forward, and do the things that God has set out for us to do as a church, right here. Momentum has to be gained in our hearts. And, and that's what happened here. This is the beauty. As you fast forward from chapter 16, go, go forward 20 chapters, God clearly had worked in their hearts by his amazing acts of grace. Not just the major deliverance from Egypt, not just reestablishing, which they knew also, the promises of a Messiah one day for them to be delivered from their sins, but also the little acts of grace along the way, the manna, the quail, the water, the deliverance from the Amalekites, the deliverance to them of the commandments, not once, but after they committed idolatry, what does God do? All right, we'll give you a mulligan, a do-over. Moses, come on back up. Bring some stone tablets with you this time. I'll give them to you a second time. That's grace. And that same grace is at work in our lives. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And what happened? Their hearts moved. It says, and everyone who was grumbling before is now willing. And whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. So turn the page over. I want to share momentum fact number one with you. Before our work can begin, the Spirit's gracious work on our hearts has to begin. Our hearts don't naturally become generous. In fact, by nature, our hearts are always more selfish and more greedy. But once the Spirit through the demonstration of God's love and grace, as we just saw many examples of with the Israelites. As you know, you have many examples, the chief of which is that cross, in your own life. As your heart shifts, moved by the love of God for you, by his forgiveness, by his grace, momentum can begin to build. It looks like this. If we have just this one fact, I'm going to give you three today, that God loves me, God forgives me, God will, by his Spirit's power, change my heart and make it generous in response to his first generosity, all of a sudden, you get momentum. Now, I want you to notice something. How many of these little balls are moving? A little bit, you got five, but which are the major ones moving? The two out ones, Okay. Just save that for a moment. I'll come back to it. All right. Let's go back those 20 chapters now to Exodus chapter 16 and see God's grace at work. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Now I want you to look at that. God does not just say, I'm going to give you barely enough. He says, every day at twilight, except for the Sabbath day, as we learn later, you will eat meat, 
And in the morning, you will be filled with bread. And then I bolded something. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. What does God's constant demonstrations of his grace tell us? Is there anyone else, any other person or any other God that demonstrates the kind of grace and forgiveness and patience that the God of the Bible does? I haven't heard of him. Is there any other God that would sacrifice his only son, his one and only son, so that you and I could enjoy forgiveness and eternal life? Is there, is there any other example of this? I, I don't know of one. And as we begin to see what God is doing here, God says to the Israelites, I'm just going to keep forgiving you and showing you mercy and being patient with you. And there may be discipline along the way. We know that there were times of discipline. But the predominant message in Exodus and every other book of the Bible is, come to me because I am a gracious God. In fact, When he says, then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. That's actually a name that God in the Old Testament specifically says in Exodus 34. I am a merciful and gracious God. He attaches those very terms as the definition of that name. This is the name that I want you, my chosen people, to know me personally by. We have a a new Testament example of that, where where Paul says, you know, we can call God the Father, Abba Father, which in modern English would be something like, we can call God the Father, Dad, that God wants us to have that sort of familiar, understanding his love and his patience with us kind of relationship with God the Father. And and God has made all of that possible by sending his son Jesus to be the perfect mediator and the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So that relationship is the same relationship that we have. We approach a God that is constantly showing his, his mercy to us. Why? Because he wants us to know him as the Lord our God. And then he says, on top of the cross, the empty tomb, I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to give you things with which you can work so that when you want to thank me, when you want to worship me, when you want to show your love for me, you don't have to go looking around for the tools. I'll give you the tools. Look, Look at what he says now. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So what God is saying here is very important for us to hear. God gives us these big gifts 
forgiveness, new life, salvation. God also gives us little gifts of his grace along the way. The abilities and the talents and the gifts, all of which show us his spirit within us. And why are those gifts given to us? Do you see the very last words? For the common good. What does that mean? That we are to sort of keep those gifts to ourselves? What does for the common good mean? That when the Spirit works talent in you, when when the Spirit gives you financial gifts or gifts of, of stuff, those are ultimately His, and He wants us to use them to thank and honor God and to spread the love around. God gives us the gifts for the common good. Here's fact number two. God graciously provides for us. We see this with the Israelites. They grumble, he responds with manna and quail. We respond to God's provision and his love by giving generously for the common good of our time, talents, and treasures. Now, Since this is the last message in this series about how God wants us to faithfully manage our resources, I wanted to take just a few moments. I rarely, if ever, do this in a message. Sometimes I'll do it in the leadership moment, which which came earlier. But this fits so beautifully into the message today. I wanted to ask you, how do you think we're doing together as a congregation right now? I don't know if you know how our year works but we start our fiscal year on July 1. So what that means is uh, for this year, we have basically April, May, and June. We're roughly three quarters of the way through our year. How have we been doing at taking the gifts God has given us, and I'm going to hone in right now chiefly on financial gifts, and sharing them back to honor, love, worship God, and use them for the common good of our mission together as a church to share the gospel with people, to let other people know about Christ. Let me just show you a couple of graphs. So on this graph, you can see July 1, that's the beginning of our fiscal year. Every time the purple bar is higher than the darker, more maroon bar, that means that our offerings exceeded our goal. Okay, so you see that in July we exceeded our goal, in August we fell short, in September we fell short, in October, November we exceeded our goal quite a bit, December fell just a little short, January a little short, and February a little short. Now, add all those bars together and what do you get? Before we get there, I want to show you how this fits over the last five years or so. So let's bring up the next slide. Now, this one is harder to read. You'd have to have a little while to study it. But basically, the dark green line that stops uh, between February and March is this year. So just pick out that green line. That's where we are this year. All the other ones kind of show you the trends. You just saw that we had three months in a row of offerings being less than the goal. Do you see what the good news might be? If we follow past year's trends, you see that often in the months of March and April and May, things begin to go up again. That's something you can pray about. 
that God will give us that same level of generosity in this coming year. And then, most people know this, during the summer, offerings tend to fall off a little bit. Now let's go to the last one, and I'll show you where that leaves us. So the orange equals all the offerings that we've had so far to date. And if we were right on track, the orange would completely cover the blue. So the blue shows how far behind we are our goal. That's by the grace of God, I'll keep using that word grace, a good sign that at this point in the year, that little blue bar is so narrow. Because we've had years where it was a lot wider than that. Now, I'm sharing this with you for uh, several reasons. Number one, would you please put this in your prayers? Because with only three months to go in our fiscal year, we want to make sure that we're able to do the work, trusting God's generosity that God has given us to do as a congregation. We've been talking a lot in our finances about you personally. Almost every week has been your personal stewardship of the financial gifts God gave you. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit more about us as a church collectively and help you understand that those offerings do amazing things. Many of you may never have visited the children's ministry that's across the hall there, where children are taught to know Jesus at their own level every single week with dedicated teachers. But things like curriculum and supplies and toys and videos and songs, those things require an investment. Um, on your way out of church today, I mentioned a postcard. We sent out more than 30,000 postcards to invite people to our worship service. We're asking you to personally send out even more. One mailing like that can cost eight to $9,000 so that we can invite our friends and neighbors and tell them, essentially, you are welcome at Crosswalk, and we would love to have you join us to hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I could go on and on about all the wonderful things that your offerings do here at Crosswalk, but I hope those two little examples will show you that many, many valuable things are done through the mission of this church so that people can hear about their Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that, let's go back to fact number two. God graciously provides for us, and we respond by giving generously from our time, talents, and treasures. Now, remember I showed you before. If you have God's grace working in your heart, beautiful. What if instead of just knowing one fact, you knew these two facts, not only will God grace me by giving me the great gift of freedom from my sins, but God graces me by giving talents and abilities so that I can thank and honor and praise and love him. Now we got two. How many balls do you think are going to move now? Here, how many moved? I can get four out of the five of those balls moving. And I, and I think it's very much like that in our spiritual life. If we are able to be confident that when God's gracious work in our hearts begins, that's going to create mo momentum in our own spiritual life. What if I know that and I know that God is going to graciously provide for me and I don't have to be afraid that he's not? 
and that God has given me time, talents, and treasures to use for, for, for his kingdom, I think we can get even more momentum going, right? All right, here's the final one. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Do you, when I read that, hear echoes of what you heard earlier in the book of Exodus? What happened when God said, we're going to build a tabernacle, a place of worship for me, and the people's hearts had been moved. They understood that they had been given gifts. A holy Adam, Bezalel, said, yeah, bring it on. I want to use my gifts for the Lord. What happened? Filled with God's grace, there was yet another grace. God gave them a heart filled with generosity and they began to give, moved by the Holy Spirit so much that they had to be told to stop. And you might think, well, as I said earlier, it doesn't seem like this happens very often. But look here in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Corinthians, something very similar occurs again. By the grace of God and the movement of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts. It says, we want you to know about what? The grace that God had given the Macedonian churches. And how did that grace show up? Their overflowing joy in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And it says at the very bottom, they exceeded all expectations in their giving. Now, what's beautiful about that is these people were actually giving for the wider church. There were, there were people back in Jerusalem who were hurting and suffering, and so Paul was gathering an offering for them. And you don't know this, but, but today in our audience, and I'm going to embarrass him, where's John? No, not you, John. The other John, John Stern. Where are you, John Stern? Are you still here? There he is. Stand up, John. John made the mistake of saying, I'm here today. John represents our wider church body, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Okay, John, thank you. Yeah. All right. And he, he brought a good friend of mine, Mark Henrich, with him today. You know what one of the benefits is when God, the Holy Spirit, moves our hearts? We can bless and benefit the kingdom, not just locally, but also across the kingdom, the way the Macedonians did, right? Their offering went from Greece all the way back to Jerusalem. And I'm not, I'm, I'm running out of time, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I'm not going to go into all the awesome work that the synod does, but it's just as awesome. In fact, in many ways, more awesome than even what we do here with world missions. I'll just ask for one fact. John, do you know how many world missionaries we have now, roughly? Not world missionaries, but missions, 23. 23 world missions worldwide that we support through our offerings to the Synod, to our church body. 
That's what happens when the Holy Spirit in his grace moves hearts and assures us that he has given us the gifts. I want you to write this down. Where God gives us his grace in Christ, there's always more than enough to do the work that God desires. More than enough. The Corinthians experienced it. The Macedonians experienced it. The people in Jerusalem experienced it because they received the gift. Go back to the Old Testament. The Jews in the middle of the wilderness of Sinai experienced it when they were building the tabernacle. Now, what if we had this assurance of God's grace three times over? How many balls can we get moving now? Now we got all five. If you and I know the love, the mercy, the forgiveness and grace that God shows us. We believe that God will move our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. God will supply our needs and that God will generously give us more than enough to meet all our needs to get the work done that he wants us to do. If we believe those three things, I am telling you that as a church and individually, we can do this. Last picture. Let's see if we get this up. You know what that is? That's where we hope to live one day. Okay, we can clap for that. All right? That is the building that we hope to occupy. We are literally just weeks away from buying uh, our first acreage. And, And God just did something amazing this past week. He is allowing us to purchase not just five, but six acres of land on the corner of 59th Avenue and Baseline, right? And God has already given us the funds that we need to make that purchase. I mentioned earlier about the synod or our wider church body. One of the ways that he's doing this, and you know that, is through a grant from our church extension fund. So they are supporting us as we support them. That's the way the church works. And so the beauty is now we can have a vision and a dream to have even greater impact with the gospel on this community. This is not about bricks and mortar. I I will tell you that as your pastor, I would be completely opposed to us having our own church building if I didn't believe that, that this is a way that God might allow us to have greater impact with the gospel. That's what it's all about. And why God has been generous to us so that we can be generous back to him and to others. It is for one thing, to share that cross of Christ so that what you have been given can be given to an entire world of sinners who don't yet have it. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, you are truly an amazing God in your love. And, and how you work and how you move in our hearts through your gospel message is amazing to us. We look back on the Israelites and see how you were so patient with them. And then we look at our own lives and, and we see that same gracious grace and patience with us. Lord, it was at great cost to you that our sins are forgiven. And we are so grateful for that. Now we ask for you to send your Holy Spirit into our hearts.
so that we are moved by your grace and so that we personally, in our management of the resources you give us, gain momentum. And that as a church together also, as we serve you in your kingdom, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you grant us momentum too. And we pray this in Jesus' name. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. God says to Moses, I'm going to give these complaining people manna and quail. And he says, after he does that, then they will know that I am the Lord their God. You know what that means? It means that God's grace defines who our God is. And God's grace also defines the momentum that we're going to have in this church and the momentum you're going to have individually. Momentum doesn't come from us. Momentum comes only from a gracious, patient, and forgiving God who constantly pours out his manna, his quail, his love, mercy, and grace on us every single day. Go home with that thought in your mind. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen.